All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. And we're working along some thoughts that we picked up out of Isaiah chapter 51 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Isaiah 51, the Lord tells him in verse 3 to look at that hole of the pit from which they were digged out of. And um, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Lord warned them lest that they would forget the fact that God took them out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And it's good once in a while to just take a peek back at what the Lord did for you, be reminded of what the Lord saved you from or saved you out of. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Those of you that were raised in Christian homes that didn't experience a lot of the world in its gory details like some of us did, uh, you've been blessed because you have been saved from a lot of those things, amen? And for some of us, we've been saved out of them. But either way, we've been saved. And uh, God has wrought a great deliverance in our lives, either side of that equation that you find yourself on. We looked at the whole of the pit of delusion. Uh, we were delusional about our spiritual condition. I'm frightened sometimes just to think of how close I was to dying and going to hell before I trusted Christ as my Savior. But God in his mercy allowed me to get to that place where I could come to Christ. And then we looked at the whole of the pit of debt. We had a debt that we could never pay. In fact, folks, we didn't even have the currency for it. We didn't even have the currency, even though we deceived ourselves with our religion and our traditions that we would be okay, and God would take that as payment. But we had not uh, the, where, the whereabouts to pay that debt, but Jesus Christ paid it for us. And then we looked at the whole of the pit of divorce. And uh, God saved many of us, our marriages, from divorce, and uh, many were saved from living in bitterness as a result of divorce, being able to put that behind them by the blood of Jesus Christ. We looked at the whole of the pit of despair, and we know that despair in our country is rampant by the suicide rate, and we looked at that, and we saw that as a hole and a pit that God delivered us from in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now I want to take you to uh, Psalm chapter uh, 23. And I think the Lord just worked this out. Don't give me any credit for the timing of this. I'm not that smart. But uh, it's New Year's Eve. And we're going to look at the whole of the pit of drink and drugs. The whole of the pit of drink and drugs. I was talking to somebody here during handshaking and Think of some of the, I said, I made the, the mistake of saying, uh, do you remember some of those New Year's Eves uh, that the Lord uh, saved us out of and, and in those days? And he said, well, no, I really don't remember most of them. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of truth in that. And thank God for his deliverance uh, from that. But um, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 23 and Proverbs 23 and verse uh, 29. And if you're here and uh, you're new around here and, and you're looking in amazement, it, is a preacher going to preach against drinking? Is that really going to happen? And the answer is yes. Amen. Uh, we're a Bible-believing church, and 
God hasn't changed his word about it. He hasn't changed his thoughts about it. And folks, neither should we. Proverbs 23 and verse 29. The Bible says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. And verse 31 is describing fermentation. Um, I'm, I'm told that in those big vats where they ferment uh, the liquor, that, that fermentation literally moves around in that vat. It's, it's alive. And it, the Bible says, when it moveth itself aright, and notice he says, look not thou. Um, if we're not supposed to look on it, then how do uh, Christians, modern Christians, rationalize uh, just drinking moderate amounts of it? Did God miss something there? Uh, he misspoke. He meant for us to drink it socially in moderate amounts, but, uh, but don't look on it. I guess you just close your eyes. Uh, you walk into the bar with your eyes closed and have somebody lead you to the seat, I suppose. I, I don't know how that works. But I want you to notice verse 32, and this is where I would like for us to um, uh, keep our attention fixed. He says, at the last, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and it stingeth like an adder. At the last. Let's pray. Father, help us now in these moments we've got together as we anticipate this new year, as we have celebrated what you gave us, your greatest gift in Christ, your unspeakable gift. And Lord, that we as believers might understand that sin is still sin and right is still right, and we might stand for you in this day and age of compromise. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to say those things that are necessary and not shy away from a one of them, but uh, uh, leave to the side that which is superfluous and of no worth. Help us, Lord, captivate us by the word of God, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I want you to notice verse 32, at the last, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. At the last. You know, when it comes to any sin, when it comes to any sin, if we would just look at the end game, you know, when the devil dangles something in front of us, he shows us the front end, and he shows us the pleasures of sin, which the Bible says are for a season. But what we need to do is look past that season to the reality of what's going to happen when it's all said and done. And that's what God's Word tells us here, at the last, at the last. What does it do? It biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And I don't think there's anybody here this morning that's in the habit of getting around snakes and seeing if they could get bit. And that's what God is saying. At the last, look at the long game. Look at things at the end of it when it comes to sin. Uh, there was a billboard around here not too many years ago, and it showed somebody all hung over, and it said, when it's not fun anymore. And then it had a number to call. When it's not fun anymore, then it had a number to call. I, I, I think it's so ironic 
that as a young man, there were some of us that drank alcohol to prove we were men and then spent a lot of time trying to quit to prove the same thing. And so it is with vice. Um, if you ever get a chance to see the old penitentiary here on the other side of Boise, it's worth seeing. And one of the things that the old penitentiary is in the room where they used to literally hang people. They had the room where they had the, the uh, capital punishment by hanging. And you could go into that room. They had everything there except the noose, but the trap door and all that. And they had a bulletin board in that room that had some of the quotes the last words of some of those who were hung, and I think the last hangings were in the late 50s is when they did them. And of course, the prison is shut down now. It's shut down in the 70s. But I remember reading one of those where the guy was offered a drink, and he said, I don't want a drink. He said, it was drink that got me here. It was drink that got me here. And of course, it's, it's a fact that a high percentage of people, and the percentage varies, that are in prison this day uh, did what they did to get there while they were under the influence of alcohol. And, and so uh, never mind all this modern Christian philosophy, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody with it, and, uh, you know, I'm doing it in moderation, and I got quote-unquote liberty. And, you know, this modern ministry's got so much liberty there's articles coming out in Christian magazines on what to do with an addicted ministry. And an addicted ministry meaning those in the ministry that are addicted to alcohol. Of course, now we really fix things up. We're legalizing pot. And of course, it's not going to stop there. There's states where they're le talking about legalizing uh, the uh, mushrooms and the psychedelics, the peyote and the mescaline and stuff like that. And of course, the back door to all of this is always medicinal. Uh, these psychedelics are good for our mental health, they're trying to tell us. Well, the people that are telling us that are nuts, okay? Because all it is is induced psychosis. It's induced psychosis is what it is. And so one is legal, and uh, for the most part, one is not, but the results are the same. The results are the same. Uh, in the United States, 800,000, or excuse me, 80,000 deaths a year alcohol-related. A lot of them have to do with tra traffic fatalities and such. And uh, that is twice what of, of the young men that died in Vietnam during the entire Vietnam War. And there were great protests, and uh, I, I'm wondering where the protests are going to be for the results of alcohol in our country. Um, the, um, the idea of alcohol versus drugs, it's only a matter of how fast the psychosis catches up with you. Um, I've been talking to people that said that this uh, modern marijuana that they're using by virtue of the chemistry and the biology and the crossbreeding and all that stuff has way more THC in it than what we used to smoke back in the day. And my reply to that is that instead of becoming psychotic, in a year or two, you can become psychotic in six months. You can get there quicker. And that's all it amounts to. And you have to have been a drunk, lived with a drunk, or loved a drunk to appreciate the results of distilled damnation. He says, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, 
who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Folks, the devil is in that bottle and usually at the bottom of it, folks. At the bottom. God's not kidding when he talks about this. I think of drugs and addictions and people that lost their lives to addiction. And some of them lost their lives to one-time flings with certain drugs. Things like methamphetamine. Take it one time and their heart blows up and stuff of that nature. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember the highly publicized death of Art Linkletter's daughter in the 1960s. She took LSD one time. One time, lost her mind, jumped out of a third-story window, and, and lost her life, plunged to her own death. And uh, folks, they're talking about LSD making a comeback, making a comeback, flashbacks, suicide. I remember it well, and I'm thankful this morning that God saved me from all that. I'm, I'm, honestly, I, I, my heart goes out to those of you that got saved later in life with that. I'm thankful that the Lord uh, saved me at the age of 18 out of that junk. And uh, I'm amazed as I talk to people as to how many people still these days get started with all that stuff when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. How many of them got started with the alcohol by raiding their parents' liquor cabinet? I remember doing it, uh, drinking some of the whiskey and then pouring water back into it so that they wouldn't notice. And my folks didn't drink too often, but they had some of it sitting around. And uh, I availed myself of that. And I, I think of how many young people get started early, early, early. And uh, let me say this to you, young people. Watch out for a friend that offers you anything like that. That's not a friend. That's not a friend. So many of them get started the way I got started, on a dare, on a ruse, with guys that I knew, guys that I trusted. And one day we were just riding our bicycles to school, and we, we pulled over out of the way, and my two friends, I said to them, I said, what are we doing? And they pulled out a joint, lit it up, started smoking it, and then the one, of, one of them held it out to me, and he said, you gonna do it? And immediately I had a decision to make. And I made the wrong decision. I was a good student. I was an athlete. I was respectful to my parents. I didn't have any gripes against my country or society. And I took a hit of that, and I ended up getting high. And, I, and the worst thing in the world happened to me. I liked it. I liked it. I wish my first experience had been a bad experience. And, and it began to take over my entire life. And it'll do that to you, folks. It'll do that. Watch out for that friend so-called that offers you something that won't hurt you. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. It'll be fun. You'll feel good. Hey, listen, there's stuff now with this fentanyl. And they got stuff that's stronger than fentanyl, they said, that's coming out. Stuff that if you just get it on your skin... It, it, could, it, can, it can do things to you. And this fentanyl, the, people are taking one dose of this stuff and dying first time they ever use it. And folks, you get drugs on the black market, you don't know what you're getting. 
when we would snort stuff, whether it was mescaline or coke or whatever, uh, if we got a bad headache, it meant it was cut with strychnine. Guy's selling you something that's cut with strychnine. That sound like your friend? <laughs> I mean, crazy, man. You'd get stuff you didn't know what you were getting. And uh, uh, the Bible warns us of these things. And this is a hole. This is a pit. And uh, folks, if you're here this morning and you're raising a family and you took LSD back in the day and your kids were born with, with most of their facilities, God's been good to you. Because that stuff's been known to cause birth defects, flashbacks. And uh, I think of this hole, I think of this pit, and God warns us about it. And who can count the stories that we could tell of lives ruined by the hole of the pit of drink and the hole of the pit of drugs? I think of some of the experiences I had unintentional, ended up having experiences with demon spirits because of drugs. That's something you want. You want to be fooling around with demon, demon spirits. I don't care how tough you are. You encounter that kind of stuff. It'll turn you into a little girl, man. I mean, it will scare you. And uh, experiences with peyote and mescaline and LSD and those psychedelics and getting hooked on marijuana. Yes, hooked on marijuana. They say it's not addictive. That's crazy. If that's not addictive, then cigarettes aren't addictive. It's addictive, folks. It gets a hold of you, and you get to where you can't live without it, and you can't do anything without it, and you can't wait for your next joint. You can't wait for your next high. And you take, you take alcohol and say, well, alcohol is legal, and it's been around forever. The detox with alcohol is worse than heroin. It's worse than heroin. The delir delirium tremors, more people die that way than the, the uh, withdrawal from heroin. Uh, brother Titus, I remember talking to your brother uh, about, about a year before he died, and he was doing good at that point. And he'd been staying clean, and he'd been staying dry. And we got talking, and he was living in Alaska at the time, and he was telling me the amount of liquor he had been drinking. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine. You could float a battleship in what he was drinking every day. He'd get home from work, and he'd, he'd knock down. It seemed like, a, a, like the better part of a case of beer and you know, whole, whole, uh, whole pints of whiskey and, and one thing after another after another. And I said to him, I said, I said, TJ, you know, you get back on that again, it's going to kill you. He said, yeah, I know. I know it'll pickle everything inside of you from your head to your toes. And the Bible says, look not, look at verse 31. Look what God's word says before you walk out of here and say, well, that's one of those old hellfire and damnation preaching churches. That's one of those old-fashioned churches that doesn't have the liberty or understand the liberty that we understand. Look at the verse. Look at it. Look not thou, verse 31. Is that what it says? Well, if he says don't look at it, then what makes anybody think we should drink it? You know, for this really smart ministry these days that's got all this liberty, uh, a lot of the guys in the pulpit now have alcohol problems. And then notice verse 32, at the last, look at the end of this thing. Look at the end of this thing. You say, well, I got liberty, I got liberty. Uh, you don't have biblical liberty for it. And you ruin your testimony worse than you think. There's guys I've led to Christ uh, in, in playing ice hockey with these guys and, and not partaking of the sacrament in the locker room uh, 
that, that allowed me the opportunity to win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say the sacrament because uh, af- after these games, the guys all break out a beer. Most of them don't even drink the whole darn thing, but it's a, it's a social thing, and they're talking and they're drinking. And I've been in the locker room numerous times with numerous guys where after a few games into the season, the guy will come up to me and he'll say, I notice you're not, you're not having a beer. In fact, the guys that got beer duty in these hockey games, they bring me a Gatorade. I get the Gatorade. And, uh, and I got to lead these guys to Christ because some of them were, had problems with it. Some of them understood the damage it does. And you as a Christian are going to go, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a couple with them and, and, and then we'll have some fellowship. That guy you're having a couple with, he's looking at it and he knows what it's doing to his life. And he's looking at you through the same lens. And the, the bottom line is you don't have a testimony. You think it's a good testimony. You don't have a testimony when you do that. Watch out for that. It'll cost you uh, your testimony. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things are become new. I think of Billy Sunday's story. I think of Mel Trotter back in the day who started uh, uh, rescue missions one after another. And he was such, a, uh, such an alcoholic, the story goes, that he stole the little white shoes off of his little baby who had died in the, in the crib. And the story varies on that. But he said this, he said, there was not anything that I knew about that I had not gone through. I had taken cure after cure. I had taken everything known to science and had made one resolution after another. But just one glimpse of Jesus Christ, one glimpse of Jesus Christ, and I have never wanted a drink from that instant to this. And can I say to you this morning, you young people that have been raised in a Bible-believing church like this with Christian parents, um, don't think less of your testimony because you don't have any gory stories to tell of wallowing around in the sin out in the world. Value your testimony that God saved you from all of that instead of out of it because there's many of us here this morning that would trade our testimony for yours any day of the week so don't spend your whole youth and your young adulthood wondering what am I missing what am I missing let me tell you something you're not missing anything worthwhile you're not missing anything at all in fact, you're missing a lot of, you're missing a lot of destruction, uh, physical, spiritual, and moral. You're missing the opportunity to mess up your life, body, soul, and spirit. That's what you're missing. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God's given you a sound mind. You just keep it. You just keep it and take it from those of us that experience the drink and the drugs that you're not missing anything worthwhile. You know, I'm, I'm rereading this book on the 1909 Cherry Mine disaster. I read it the first time, the first time I preached this message years ago, The Hole of the Pit. And uh, I'm rereading this thing and I just got done with it again. And one thing that struck me the other day when I finished up, what struck me was the amount of things that were assumed were okay. And that people absolutely knew wouldn't come together and conspire at the same intersection to create a disaster that over 200 men lost their lives down in a mine fire. 
Hundreds of women were made widows. Hundreds of little boys and girls were made orphans because they could handle it. They could handle it. You might be here this morning and say, well, I can handle it. I can handle it. Take a look at the verse again before we move on. Look at verse 32. He says what? At the what? At the last. At the last. Look at the end of the thing. At the last. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. They've proved just having a couple drinks and getting a little buzz kills a lot of brain cells. And you might be young this morning and say, I've got plenty to spare. Now, some of us may beg to differ. <laughs> you might want to take a poll on that if you think you have some to spare. But I'll tell you something, when you get older, when you get older, you'll regret that. You'll regret that. Look at the verse again. At the last. At the last. Let me just ask you a very simple question. And this was the, uh, the uh, thesis of an article I read years ago in Christianity Today. And uh, that's a mag magazine that's uh, long ago gone the, the drift of the left-wing Christianity. But a gal wrote an article, and she basically said about all this so-called liberty to drink she says, don't any of us know anybody with a drinking problem? Where's our Christian charity? She asked a very good question. And she was coming from the standpoint, the false premise, that we have the liberty to violate verses like this. Because a lot of clever guys have taught us that. You know, a bunch of skinny jean pinheads that figured out that old-fashioned Christianity is no good and no longer relevant anymore. What's the matter with all you this morning? Didn't you know that? <laughs> but the Bible says, at the last, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. At the last, folks, at the last. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to take the long look. We've got to look at our testimony. Uh, your testimony, look, it's like a lot of things in life. We talked about the whole of the pit of divorce. We talked about staying together. And, and so someone says to me, well, should I stay in a marriage that I'm not being fulfilled and not go out and do this and that? And my short answer to that is yes. Yes. Because that's what God wants you to do. Stay married. It's worth the testimony. It's worth it for your kids. And in this case, it's worth it for your testimony to a lost world. You take that unsaved person that sees you social drinking in the name of Jesus Christ he might have a drinking problem. When he looks at you, he dismisses your testimony because he says, hey, he's got nothing more than I got. If his religion can't keep that thing out of his hand any more than mine can keep, my, keep it out of my hand, then he hasn't got anything I need. Is it worth it? Is it worth someone uh, rejecting your testimony just because you think you've got liberty? Because some smart aleck got real clever and told you you could do it in spite of what we just read here in these scriptures? Is it worth it? I say it's not. Folks, you think God's going to pass out rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for just, just for being happy and being fulfilled and doing what we want, when we want, how we want? Just because we want to satisfy the flesh? Folks, those crowns are there because we're going to have to deny ourselves. 
We're going to have to deny ourselves that crown of temperance. We're going to have to deny ourselves that crown of life. We're going to have to deny ourselves <coughs> that crown of joy and rejoicing. We're going to have to deny ourselves. And I know that's not popular preaching these days because we live in an Epicurean society. We live in an America where we think it's all about us. And sacrifice and self-denial is not something that we want to be uh, participating in. But folks, it is biblical. It is biblical. And I'm glad there were others that went before me that sacrificed and denied themselves that I might have an example to follow. That I might understand the truth of the Word of God. That it does work. And by the way, uh, have a smile on your face. Okay? Someone asks you how you do and say, better than I deserve. <laughs> and when you're sacrificing and denying yourself for the sake of others, do so with joy, noting that you're in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what he did for us, folks. Look at uh, Romans chapter 15, and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 15. And I know we're drifting a little bit here, but it's connected. Romans chapter 15. Self-denial is part of the Christian life. And there are going to be times where you've got to deny yourself something you have every right to have. And every, every fiber of your body and mind from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet wants it. But for the sake of others, you need to deny it. Uh, look at verse 1 in Romans chapter 15. We then that are strong, we then that are strong in this modern contemporary and uh, emergent uh, Christian mentality. The idea is that the mature people are the ones that understand their liberty, so they venture out and cross these lines into sin and worldliness. Well, the Bible tells us just the opposite here. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and what's it say? And not to what? Please ourselves. What new doctrine is this? <laughs> You know, the average Christian, their criteria for whether they're going to do something or not do something is how does it make me feel? No, that's not the criteria biblically, folks. It's is it right or is it wrong? And then even, even when we have justification, the next question is how does it affect others? And that's what Paul's going into right here. And look what he says, verse 2. He says, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. That's what Jesus did for us, folks. He took on our sins. He pleased not himself. And the reproaches of them that reproached his father fell on him. And those were our reproaches, folks. And that's what it means. We sing these songs. I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like my Savior. Well, then self-denial is part of it, folks. Because that's what he did. Self-denial. And folks, I have no regrets. I have no regrets turning my back on the bottle. I have no regrets turning my back on drugs. I have no regrets turning my back on that lifestyle. I mean, just, just to remind myself of things, some things in regard to all of this, I jumped on YouTube the other day and looked up some testimonies of people telling on, on, on how uh, the drugs had messed up their lives and the alcohol, and it brought me back to that time 
And I want to tell you this morning, I am so glad for God's grace. I am so glad for what he did for me. I am as glad about it uh, this morning at the age of 67 as I was at the age of 17 when I first understood the glorious grace of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection for me. I'm just as happy about it today as I was then. Thank God for his salvation. Thanks God for his grace. And if you're here this morning and God saved you out of all of that, uh, you should be a witnessing crazy man out there. Uh, there shouldn't be anything or anyone that could shut your mouth about it. And if God saved you from it, you should be just as glad. Quit being one of these sourpuss second or third generation Christians that walks around like you're sucking on a lemon because you can't do and dress and act like the rest of the world. God says, look at the end game. You're blessed. You're being saved from it. And if you don't believe it, just ask some of us that were saved out of it. The whole of the pit of drink and the whole of the pit of drugs. Thank you, Lord, for pulling me out of that pit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And help us, Lord, as we go forth into this world to have a testimony a testimony of being different because of your grace, not for the sake of self-righteousness or feeling better than other people, but Lord, for the sake of your grace that you delivered us from so great a death. Thank you, Lord, for many of us here being delivered out of the whole of these pits. And Lord, I pray that those that have been saved from it, that haven't experienced it, that haven't stuck their head down in that burning mine that they would appreciate the fact that you've done them a great thing, that you've been good to them. You've been good to all of us. You've blessed us. And thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for anyone in this building or looking in online that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Father, we pray that they would, they would bow their head and bow their heart and receive him as their Savior from their sin that they might be delivered from the whole of the pits that they find themselves in, whether it's delusion or debt or despair or divorce or drink or drugs or death or disease or damnation. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 122. Number 122, grace greater than our sin. Number 122.
us in a word of prayer. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. You've had mercy upon us because we have heard your word this morning. When we, I know that when we see the filth around us in this world, and we see ourselves and those around us justifying it, and then even as we heard this morning, at the last it, we're brought to see it for what it is, we're almost undone in despair. What can fix this? And it's your word. Your word purifies us. Your word sets our minds and our hearts aright. Thank you for giving us your word. Please help these men, Pastor Michael, Pastor Doty, the others, the men who stand behind this pulpit. The purest man in here does not see this the way you see it. We are comfortable with expressions of sin. Forgive us. Simultaneously, please, purify our thoughts and humble our spirits so that we can hate everything that is impure or impure around us and have the greatest of compassions upon our neighbor. We cannot do that without your spirit. We ask for the help of your spirit. Thank you for the promise of your coming. Thank you for the promise of your help until you come. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.